It's over 9,000! Welcome to Super Elite Warriors to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. Hello, listeners. This is the Bikini. Happy to be just adrift in space with nothing killing me. What a dullard. If every day were a day you were happy, we just sit around talking all the time. Isn't that kind of the point of a podcast, though? I don't know. I just learned what a podcast was a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Me too. Should we be running around getting killed every time? Listen, Recruit, I already admitted I don't know once. Don't push it. And yes, listeners, we're just sort of adrift in space, staring at the black void of nothingness as it stares back into us, drinking in the stillness. Space is not always exciting, and today, in fact, the past several days have been those kind of days. Our ennui is growing, or at least mine is. As we tumble through the blackness, chillingly silent, with only the thrum of our engines to mark the passage of time, and... Only each other to stave away total insanity. Well, uh, where are we headed to next? Have we gotten any hits on our long-range scouters? Nothing at all. Shouldn't that be essentially impossible? Our long-range equipment can detect a fighter with a power level as low as 1,000 up to distances that span a quarter of the galaxy. There can't be nobody within the entire quadrant that ticks the scales. We know we have colonies within a few days' flights from here uh, that have fighters well over 10,000. I don't know, maybe the equipment was damaged during our time on Orthoptera or SETI YZ3. Mm, Diagnostics say they're functioning normally. Uh, Only a blockage or maybe active jamming could disrupt our systems this badly. Well, we can eliminate one of those possibilities fairly easily. Aren't you capable of surviving in space without a life support suit? I don't like where this is headed. You may not like it, recruits, but you should gear up to head out and check the scouter panels on the ship's exterior for any blockages. Grab the toolkit from the maintenance pod and head to the airlock. You know, on my planet, this would be considered wildly degrading. And on this ship, it's considered an essential duty in the service of Lord Freeze's mission of galactic dom- dominion. Potato, potato. What? 
I don't know. It's it's some sort of earth or earth saying. I think we need to learn how to blend in when we eventually get there. So, do Earthalians have green skin and eight sets of teeth? How many times do you want to get me to say I don't know in an hour? We're on record pace here. How do you know Earth sayings if you don't even know what Earthers look like? Because it's what's written down here. What's written down where? I don't know. I don't make up this shit. Edited by Lord Frieza for our listeners' safety. I just work here. Oh, by the way. I'm outside now and nearing on the long-range scouter equipment. You see anything? Uh, yeah, though I wouldn't think it would cause this much havoc on our scans. It's pretty caked on, though. Might take a while to clean. Well, while you're scrubbing away, we can talk about this week's topic. And this week, talking about episode 14 of the anime. It's a pretty not-much-happens episode. Basically, we've had the dragon summoned. He has given Oolong his panties. Goku has turned into Uzaru. Our heroes have all gone their separate ways. We pick up with Yamcha and Bulma and Oolong and Puar flying their plane, and it crashes. There's like a malfunction, and they wind up in the desert. Their little bit for the rest of the episode is more or less just kind of wandering around in the wilderness, jungles, desert, and trying to get towards civilization. While every once in a while they come across this, this, they hear like a weird noise or they see something in the distance and they can't really see or hear very well what it is. But we, as the viewers in the audience, see it's a little bald individual who is like cutting down trees with his kicks or running so fast through the desert he kicks up a sandstorm. Meanwhile, Goku heads to master roshi's place as he said he was going to do at the end of the end of the previous episode he's gonna go you know get his training and he shows up and he says hey master i'm i'm here to train and roshi's like yeah you could train if you bring me a cute girl and so goku goes out and brings him a a a big a big lady (laughs) and roshi's like that's very pc of you (laughs) Roshi's like that's not a that's not a cute girl. So Goku tries again, winds up bringing back a cute girl, but whoops, it's a mermaid. Goku's about to try again when the bald individual uh shows up, introduces himself as Krillin and says, "I would like to train here." And Master Roshi says, "All right, yeah, you could train here, but your mission, the two of you together have to go and get me a cute girl." That's that's basically all that happens in in this episode. Um, so b- before we get into the the actual meat of what we wanted to talk about, as it pertains a little bit to this episode, and that being Master Roshi, let's just real briefly remind everyone of the state of Dragon Ball itself at this point. We've mentioned it wasn't very well re- received. In fact, Kazuhiko Torishima says it was on the brink of cancellation, and he urges Toriyama to make some changes to improve the popularity. Toriyama is resistant to change. He's an artist. Uh, but he liked the idea when he started of focusing on a character who was a martial artist and that he could put into fun battles. So he wants this manga to be f- 
you know, even though he likes that idea, he wants his manga to be fun and distracting with nothing inherently super exciting happening. That obviously doesn't work out very well for him. Uh, but, but Toriyama isn't stupid, and he knows that if he wants to remain a serialized mangaka and keep making that money, he really has no choice. He listens to Torishima, and he agrees to shift Dragon Ball's focus from being gag-driven to being battle-driven. Shonen Jump battle manga is defined by three things, dreams, friends, and battle. Dreams, the major dream or goal that the main character wants to achieve, so they strive for greatness. Friends, the people who help them along that way on their journey. And the battle, fighting obstacles or overcoming people or, you know, whatever, to help the hero climb the ladder to reach their ultimate goal. Now, luckily for Toriyama and Dragon Ball, he's allowed to do it gradually because he's so popular from Dr. Slump, and the shift is relatively subtle. You know, Goku already has a dream. He wants to be the best. He wants to be better, better than he was yesterday. Uh, quick aside, because his dream is just to be better than he was yesterday, this manga can continue forever. Goku can always be better. Uh, he already has met some friends, and Toriyama loves kung fu movies, and he wants Goku to have cool battles along the way anyway. Another trope of battle manga in general is that the enemies are either soundly defeated and we move on to the next one, or they become members of the hero's team. And we're already pretty familiar with that from the first 23 chapters with this dynamic from Yamcha, Oolong, and even like Master Carrot, you know, who just gets blasted off to the moon. So Toriyama really just needs to shift his focus. He doesn't need to overhaul the whole manga. Toriyama and Torishima also simplify. They remove the large ensemble cast and they focus in more on Goku. They want to strip everything down. They want to make it easier to understand. They want more action. Torishima has looked at Fist of the North, the North Star for inspiration as it's wildly popular at this time. And he's taken lessons from that to make Dragon Ball more popular. And, and Toriyama, for his part, in addition to being pliable to these changes, or at least as much as he's willing to be, as you know, a stubborn artist and a stubborn individual like he is in the first place, he gradually actually shifts his art style itself. If you look at the very early art versus the, you know, Z art and such stuff like that, he's hardening his edges. He makes his lines cleaner and sharper. He wants to give the whole thing a more action feel. He even learns to adopt uh, the the paneling method that's used by creator of Astro Boy, Osama Tezuka. This guy has, I, I, I think it was called like the Osamu method or something. Uh, it's his method of paneling that helps action flow. And Torishima is the one who kind of brings this to Toriyama and says, let's like figure out how this works together. And he believes this is another reason why Dragon Ball becomes so popular. It's not just the story that's easier to take in. It's the art itself. So you remember how in Journey to the West, the Monkey King's son Wukong uh, starts as a stone monkey. And then after suffering the death of a close friend, he decides to search out a master who can teach him Buddhist monk ways so that he can learn immortality. I do. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, so Toriyama borrows from this and has Goku seek out a master as well. Enter Master Roshi. Master Roshi is ultimately, you know, Goku's master. He's first introduced as Kami Senen, which essentially means turtle hermit. Kami meaning turtle, Senen meaning hermit, specifically uh, a Taoist hermit, which this is something I'd never heard of before before this. So uh, this is all new to me. 
who has left behind their previous life and possessions to pursue becoming one of one with the Tao in order to achieve enlightenment, commune with nature, and gain access to supernormal powers such as immortality, flight, interaction with paranormal creatures, and mastery over their internal latent energies. Almost all of these things at this point in the story, Master Roshi has shown examples of. Yep. They're considered mysterious sages and just in my opinion, all around awesome. Kami Senen is designed the same as a Dr. Slump character named Kami Sama. Toriyama liked that character so much that he just kind of like slapped sunglasses on him and boom, Kami Senen. He also teases his readers when first introducing this character uh, that maybe, you know, he might be inspired by, or, or maybe he just outright is uh, Urashima Taro in, I think it, it. So the story of Urashima Taro is a legend that goes back almost 1,500 years about a fisherman who, due to a valiant act, gets invited to an undersea kingdom where he parties and loses track of time for three days. Unfortunately for him, there's a kind of like a time dilation effect going on, and uh, when he gets back, he realizes he's been gone for 300 years. So he's unable to find his family, and he's unable to return back to the to the undersea party. He's essentially the Japanese version of Rip Van Winkle, a story about someone who winds up feeling displaced due to a long absence. So if you've been paying attention to our podcast so far, even if you're not watching and reading along with the the material, you can guess pretty well how Kami Senen's appearance subverts what might be expected. Senen typically wear like very somber robes. Roshi, however, is dressed like a Hawaiian tourist. And then to subvert that subversion, Toriyama often uses Roshi to introduce, examine, and discuss like the more philosophical and esoteric aspects of his story. And his name implies he's this mystical hermit. His appearance and often his actions suggest he's just some lecherous old goof. But then he's used to do some of the more heavy lifting storytelling-wise and to examine the headier concepts of the story. Right. Yeah. So, so what's all this like? Roshi, Kame Senen, Master Roshi, Muti Ro- Mutin Roshi. What is all this? It's really just sort of aliases. Master Roshi, or at least the name, which is also known as Mutin Roshi, more literally translates to something like Great Heavenly Sage who is Master of Martial Arts. It 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 it's another one of like Toriyama's. I'll say wordplay is kind of Master Roshi almost means like Master Master. Um, this person, though, this sort of alias, this Master Roshi alias, is the legendary person in the minds of the characters of the Dragon Ball world. Master Roshi is the man who taught the Ox King and taught Son, Son, Son Gohan. He's the man who's renowned for his knowledge of martial arts and his ability to perform the Kamehameha wave. He's also the man who, spoiler alert for later in this Dragon Ball story, faced off with King Piccolo back in the day. He's this grand, legendary sort of character, Master Roshi. And because Roshi is said to be, like, hundreds of years old, he is, in people's minds, in in the universe of Dragon Ball, he is this sort of legendary character. You know, people will be like, Who's this Kame Senen guy? And he'll be like, I'm Master Roshi. And people are like, you're the Master Roshi? That's where that kind of comes in. Because Kame Senen is the old turtle hermit. 
He's a little more of like a crazy old kook. He's lived a long life. He studies Buddhism and Taoism and women's bodies on his little island. It, it's sort of like the two halves of this whole person. In, in typical Taoist master fashion, Roshi initially refuses to take on a student unless they can pass a test. In real life Taoist tradition, and this might sound mildly familiar to another fictional story starring uh, Ed Norton and Brad Pitt. This this might this this test might be something like standing outside your temple for days being treated poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't sound familiar at all. Or or being allowed in and not being trained or taught what you're doing or anything like that for years, just to test your patience and your determination. In Taoism, though, this is considered a sacred rite of passage. So obviously, Toriyama subverts the expectation. And rather than being some sort of sacred rite of passage, test of strength, test of patience, test of determination, it's a crude test to get this guy a girl. Specifically, in the Japanese, a peachy peachy girl. And peachy peachy is the onomatopoeia for the sound of a fishtail swishing through the water. It's meant to describe a vivacious young girl swishing and sashaying around. It actually had been used like a little bit before Dragon Ball, but its use here is what really actually catapults it into the vernacular. It's, it's not a super common phrase. And then Master Roshi uses it and... I mean, suddenly it's everywhere. Yeah, that's not like suddenly it's everywhere, but like Master Roshi uses it. And then from that, it ultimately becomes something that's said by people more often. So further source of inspiration for Roshi is the story of someone called Kume Senen, which is another old bit of folklore about a Senen. Kume Senen, which translates to Rice Hermit, who has mastered the art of flying. And as he's flying around one day, he glances down and sees a beautiful young woman washing her clothes in the river. And his mind immediately descends into lecherous thoughts, which weigh him down with earthly yearnings. And then he plummets from the sky, boom, lands at her feet. He's smitten and decides to get married and completely loses his powers. Ultimately, he repents to the gods for this lapse in, I don't know, judgment, I guess, and winds up rededicating himself to his craft and studies and relearns how to fly and eventually gains immortality. Kume Senen is the hermit who lost his way due to lecherous thoughts, which is kind of what brings us back to Roshi, who's often been defined by his lechery. Uh, This is a pretty common trope in Japan dating back like a long way. In pretty much all world cultures, uh, young women are seen as especially desirable. That's it's pretty common. Uh, I don't even really need to come up with an example for it. <laughs> if you, for instance, were to look at Hollywood, you'd see how this ideology has permeated American culture where women could only land roles as moms or aunts or uh, kind of those older, wiser figures once they basically hit 30, while men in their 50s can easily still play opposite women half their age as a, as a believable romantic couple. In Japan, this has led to an obsession with schoolgirl outfits and especially their panties for some reason by the time dragon balls being written there are even stores and vending machines where a man can buy a girl's used panties gross <laughs> uh this along with the lolicon effect that we kind of discussed in a previous episode kind of has this effect of leading to a trope where an old man who finds himself alone with a young beautiful girl is almost by definition a dirty old man toriyama plays right into this trope with kami senen following the lead of uh, one of his all-time favorite movies, The Great Bandit, 
wherein the hero sees meets a, a senin who is a descendant of this kumi senin we were just talking about uh, and states that he is prone to his ancestors weakness for women and implies this to be a genealogical condition something he just absolutely cannot help so is toriyama saying kame senin is a descendant of kume senin uh, he's at least playing with that notion he's playing with a lot of tropes and notions too he, there's a trope in Chinese Taoism about Senin, or at least certain Senin. And this is one of those things that it kind of goes back a very, very long way. And I would equate it to the ability of any belief or religion to get very twisted. I mean, just look around at American Christianity. If you would, you know, if you're, if you're an American listener and you'd like an example of that, it, it has, certainly morphed uh, from something that is very much not love thy neighbor. <laughs> so there's this there's this kind of ancient belief in Taoism. And, and part of this, too, is because Taoism, especially, especially in Japan, too, Taoism, Shintoism, and Buddhism all kind of coexist with one another. They kind of mingle. They kind of become this one sort of thing. Um, and even though someone might say they're a Taoist or a Buddhist or whatever, and they might be right, like a like more dedicated to one thing or another, it's very much not uncommon for a Japanese individual to grow up in a house that has a a Buddhist statue, a Shinto shrine, a Taoist connection to to nature, those kinds of things, all within the same house, and that's all like you know three kind of different ideologies and religions but they all kind of mix to make this one sort of culture there's a trope in Taoism that as people continue to bring balance to their life they must also learn to bring balance to their internal male and female energies so you have to become if you want to have mastery over your internal latent energies you need to have mastery over all pieces of that which includes even some feminism right this is that whole yin yang thing the the best way to practice this and this is where again we're we're, do, we're getting some heavy heavy topics here the, the best way to practice this is to practice sex and see how long you can control your orgasms the best way to the best people to practice on of course because of our long held belief as men that young women are just the bee's knees is to practice on young girls preferably virgins and so there's this further twisting of that idea that makes it seem like at least some senin are holders of a great number of concubines and really desire only sex with young girls i'd say an imperfect comparison point a very, very imperfect comparison point would be like how we've twisted clowns from being these performers meant to bring laughter into ghoulish monsters. You kind of take bits and pieces of older, more complex, but definitely still problematic ideas and you filter out any of the good that they might have had in them and you leave yourself with the grimy. That's this whole idea of Senin as these sort of like keeping jade concubines and and just having sex with them. Roshi is the first example of this kind of character appearing in a manga, however, especially the way he does. And by that, I mean, Kame Senen is not depicted as just a sex-starved freak looking to score, and that's not depicted as his reason to exist. It's, it's 
it's not his function in the story. It's his character flaw. And additionally, this flaw, though, doesn't wholly affect his abilities, right? And in previous times, we've seen when a, a Taoist monk or a Senan or whatever is, is introduced as having these kind of flaws, it saps them of their powers. For Kame Senan, it doesn't. He doesn't need to rededicate himself to be able to do the, the things he does. He's still a great master. Uh, and he's a trendsetter in that respect to such an extent that a dirty old man who's the hero's teacher becomes a common trope of battle manga and kung fu manga, inspiring like almost everyone that comes after him. There's some sort of super similar character. One of the most notable, and it's a major comparison point in terms of the this this property is Naruto has a character named Game Senen, which I forget what Game means. I think it's mountain. Pervy. Oh, <laughs> pervy sage. I've, yeah, I'm familiar with Naruto. I've I've read the whole thing. Okay, so so it's not Mountain, <laughs> um, but but yeah, not, it's. I don't know if I don't know if if Game translates to pervy. I do know that like in the translated versions, they refer to him as the pervy sage, or at least the the character Naruto does. He's one of what are known as like the the three great sages of their ninja village or whatever it is. Okay. <laughs> so this is where, this is one of those, again, this is like a heavy topic. I'll, I'll restate that one of these days I really would like to, maybe when we do our Bulma episode on down the line, I would, I would love to get sort of the female perspective on this part of Dragon Ball as well. But, you yeah, know, I think that would make for a great conversation actually. Yeah. But how how do we feel about Roshi as a character? I mean, does his dirty man, dirty old man persona really bother you? Is it funny? Does he get better or worse over time? I mean, that's kind of what I want to focus on m- more here, you know, because we could talk about things like, I mean, Roshi's got some really cool sh- stuff that he does. When you first see him and you underestimate him and he's this little scrawny dude and then he hulks out and blasts the Kamehameha when you're like, oh, that's awesome. Like, he's got all these awesome moments, but he's also this dirty old pervert. <laughs> True. I don't, I, don't, I don't see how you can't look at his behavior and not have a problem with it. <laughs> but I think the saving grace for the characters, like you said earlier, it's his character flaw. It's 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 not seen as a positive thing. It's often to his own detriment, because when you think of like earlier episodes, like when he's makes the deal with Goku to put out Fry Pan Mountain and he's like, oh, I want to like, you know, touch her boobs. He doesn't end up touching her boobs. He ends up like rubbing his face in Oolong's fake boobs, essentially. (laughs) But it's it's just things like that where it's it's he tries to do something pervy or he'll try and force himself on a woman and it backfires on him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's his saving grace. And I think I think that's why I think the character is funny in some respects because he gets what he deserves. And that's that's kind of the part that makes it funny. Right. He's a very interesting character, to say the least. Like you said, it. It's really hard to look at this character and not have a problem with him to some extent. I do think it's really important to contextualize this kind of stuff in Dragon Ball, right? It doesn't it doesn't excuse it and it certainly doesn't make it any easier to watch, 
as a 21st century individual. Uh, I mean, uh, what? <laughs> a, 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 whatever age that's we're a, in? That's a weird timekeeping convention that I've <laughs> never heard of in the deep recesses of space. <laughs> that doesn't make it any easier to, to watch as a, as a modern person. But I do think it's important to, to sort of realize that this is a, and I, we've said this before, but this is a manga that's written by a man, that is edited by a man, that the assistant working on b- the go-between between these two is a man, that is overseen by a company that is run entirely by men, that is intended for an audience of men. Again, that doesn't excuse it, but it very much kind of shows you how a thing like this can happen and how Absolutely. and how you can actually sometimes I'll say I'll say sometimes it is actually funny and sometimes it is used right, but then there are times where you're like, "Oh god, that that one that's a that's step bad. that's a step yeah. too far." <laughs> and so you could see how by not having like a female voice in the room at all to be like, "Listen, this is okay, and this is funny, and this is borderline, and this one is like, do not do this, <laughs> and and that just there's no one there to be like, yeah, don't don't do that one. <laughs> so yeah, to an extent, his dirty old man persona, it, I will say it does sometimes bother me. There's times I, where I... it's fun and times where it's funny. I like. I actually really like the way it's ultimately used in in Super, and I won't say really, really like because this is one of those things where if I really wanted to like be like Dragon Ball should get a female perspective more, he ultimately changes in Dra- in Dragon Ball Super. Spoiler alert: he decides that he can't be the the best fighter that he can be if he's got this huge weakness, and so he decides to dedicate himself to overcoming this weakness. That's all well and good, but should he maybe have said, oh, I have, you know, sexually harassed dozens of women in my time and I feel bad about that, so I should try to be better? That would have probably been a better... <laughs> a better motivation. A, a better yeah, motivation, <laughs> but... <laughs> These women are holding me back. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, to, to at least have there be some sort of recognition that this is a flaw and that this really shouldn't be something he's, he's kind of beholden to, I, I think... There's there's kind of some some cool stuff done with that. I I also think like as I mean like it's it's really bad like early Dragon Ball, but as time goes on like that aspect of him sort of does fall to the wayside a little bit, and I I very much like later Roshi way better than early Roshi, and he's he's honestly probably when he's when he's not being pervy he's probably one of my favorite characters. Yes. Because I very much like the trope of like the the wise old man who maybe isn't as strong or as fast as the other fighters, but is still competitive based solely on the sheer amount of experience that he has with fighting. Right. That and when whenever he he does these like these little moments that teach Goku something. You know, we're going to we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk a lot about that over the next few weeks because we're in this whole section now where Goku is training. And so we're going to talk a lot about like how Roshi sneaks in these little lessons that Goku really takes to heart. So to an extent, 
more than any character we see, at least until Vegeta comes along, Roshi really sh- kind of shapes the the character that Goku is in terms of his dr- his his drive, like his his desire for greatness, his his emphasis on fighting, his you know push towards because it's it's really not like the whole thing with Goku being a, a Saiyan and being driven by a biological need towards competing in battle. That's a retcon, right? The person who really instills it in him at this point is Roshi, you know, Roshi kind of just sneaks in these little lessons, you know, learning, becoming a master of martial arts. He ends up telling him is, you know, the goal is not to be able to beat people up. The goal is to be able to protect others and learn more about yourself and push yourself to new limits. That's the goal of martial arts. And like that speaks to Goku on such a level. And that's the Roshi that I really like. I'll I'll say it. I'll say it this way. I really like Master Roshi. It's Kame Senen that I have a problem with. You know, that makes I, sense. I really yeah. like the the sage who's trying to teach his students martial arts, who really cares about his students. You know, he's very he's very hesitant to take on new students, but when he does take them on, he really cares about them. He ultimately competes against them in the martial arts tournament not to put them in their place and not to teach them a lesson but because he knows that there's like this great potential within them and he's scared that if they just go out and win this this tournament like he knows they will if he's not there they'll lose interest because they'll think that there's nothing more to it so he really cares about his students and really cares about teaching them and that's Master Roshi, and Master Roshi is awesome. It's Kame Sunin who kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, and, and I I think that also kind of mirrors for me anyway, kind of my attitudes to the show as a whole. I very much enjoy the bits where it's uh, you know fighters competing against each other, or they're they're training and trying to trying to improve themselves as well as each other. Versus the the more gaggy bits. I mean, there are. Don't get me wrong. There are some some bits that are hilarious, and I will I will love to my dying day. But I think for me that the the high point of the series is those moments like you're talking about where Roshi's like, oh no, I've I've got to beat these kids in their tournament, not to disrespect them, but so that they continue to have this drive to want to get better because I want them to be even better than I am. Right. It is the mix of the two things that I think makes Dragon Ball work as a whole. I just think it's what, where where Dragon Ball gets iffy is in a lot of the sexual humor. And I think I think it's this this stretch of it that we're coming into where I think it, it is at its most problematic. You know, a lot of people have issues. We, we talked about some of them with the earlier stuff. Like the, mm-hmm. those first those first 13 episodes. To me, that stuff in those episodes, for the most part, is actually kind of funny because it, it it's it's toying the the joke is Goku's innocence you know like that's that's the gag that's the gag in in that first arc he doesn't even know what a girl is he doesn't know what a butt is well he knows what a butt is but he thinks that Bulma has a butt on her chest you know yeah the the punchline's not necessarily the woman it's more the punchline is look at this hick that doesn't know anything about anything. Right. 
the problem then with Roshi's stuff is the punchline is a boner joke, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, because we, we've talked about that, too, how whenever Roshi gets a bloody nose, it's because he's got such a raging heart on that his blood can no longer fill his penis. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it shoots out of his nose. And that's just like, that's a trope that's in all kinds yeah, of anime and manga. It's pretty common. <laughs> but so that's why this stretch until the tournament itself, like, and, and this stretch is actually fairly short. I think it's only... Uh, is it only five or six episodes or something? It's not a whole, it's not a super long stretch, but this, this is the stretch that's got some of the toughest to swallow sexual humor in it. I, 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 you know what? I'm just gonna leave that one alone. <laughs> yeah, that was not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That this this has yeah, some of the. Gonna, we're just gonna move on past that. This has this has some of the toughest to watch. There we go. And and then after that, you still do get these jokes of Roshi being a perv, but they're, they're less. They're, they're at least a little tamer. That that and and the person he is like the the big problem with with Roshi in in this stretch is. Krillin is is like playing into it, right? Yeah. He's he's encouraging it almost. And Goku doesn't know any better. So there's there's nobody around during yeah, this there's no check on him and his behavior. During this portion of it who is like giving him that slap in the face that he needs. Yeah, cuz like at least when Bulma was around, it's like you know, her making comments about like how how like disgusting and inappropriate he's being. Right. And now we don't have that. Right. And that's why when it when it does come back around like in later episodes, it's almost always Bulma or Chi Chi that he's saying something about. And they are two very strong willed women who just like smack him or outright punch him and and put him in his place, even though it's still kind of that idea of like it's having its cake and eating it too right it's it's sort of yeah it's sort of wagging its finger at sexual humor while still doing the thing it at least is doing that finger wag at it and in these next like six episodes or whatever there's nobody around to put a stop to it and so it's just roshi like being a perv and then perving on launch it, it it's pretty uncomfortable but it's it's part of his, it's, it's, you know, unfortunately it is part of his character. And I think what, what we've tried to do in this episode is highlight kind of where that comes from and why that is. I'm not excusing it. I'm not trying to say that it's okay, but I am saying that, that there's a, there's a, there are reasons that this character is made that way, right? He's yeah. inspired by, this these couple of legends right you know the the Yurishima Taro to an extent but you know he's inspired by Kume Senen he's inspired by this sort of perversion of Taoism that says Taoist uh, Senen who want to really bring true balance to themselves have to practice by having sex with young virgins he's born of this 
Toriyama trying to kind of be funny about it. Like, and, and not be funny all the time, but like trying to bring in those pieces of things that he picked up. Again, I've never seen The Great Bandit, but apparently that's one of Toriyama's more favorite movies, and that's a plot point in it, is that there's a, a sage who teaches the the hero, but this sage is like, I like boobies. Oh, what's the movie? There's a movie called The Lost World of Sinbad from 1963 that is a Toho movie, you know, pr- produced by Tomoyuki Tanaka, directed by Senkichi Taniguchi, written by Shinichi Sekizawa and Takeshi Kimura, who wrote, like, most of the early Godzilla movies. This movie stars Toshiro Mifune. It stars Mihama. She was a Bond girl, I believe. She was in which Bond movie? You Only Live Twice. And this is about a samurai kind of guy. It's like a sword and sandal movie who goes to face off against an evil pirate, a potential usurper of a throne, he has to kind of go after this 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 evil king or whatever. But there's a character in this movie, and this movie's from 1963, who's basically a Master Roshi. He's a hermit that the hero comes across, who helps him along his way using his powers and his magic, and his main weakness, and his only weakness, is boobies. <laughs> so this is this is something that this is something that wasn't sort of created by Toriyama, but it was, unfortunately, popularized by Toriyama. And it's something that he took in from seeing it done in these like weird movies that he would just watch while he was working or whatever. That's all we're saying is like, it's, it's not okay. It's just that there's a reason why this exists that's that goes a little beyond just a few dumb guys who don't realize how harmful <laughs> this sort of humor is right and 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 i and me personally i think that's that's a good conversation to have because if you want to see improvements in your in your fiction uh particularly around stuff like this like you need to understand where it comes from and and how to kind of fix those issues right and you need to be able to properly contextualize it when you're when you come across this stuff right um, right because how else would you know what what is actually creating this 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 feeling of oh this isn't quite right versus what's actual decent character tropes right and it also helps too to just know that like yeah, this this is not it it is not always this way. And like that's that's where I that's kind of the only place where I come into defending this this character and this stuff is that I will say it seems at least to an extent that they learn that this is problematic and they t- attempt to to make it better. Right, um, and and I'm I'm kind of with you in that same respect. Oh snap! Lost World oh, snap. of Sinbad is the same movie as The Great Bandit. <laughs> That's amazing. It is. There's this. Even the. It's funny though because everything says 
It's the Lost World of Sinbad. It's also called The Great Thief. It's also called Samurai Pilot, Pi- Pirate. And then there's one thing that says, here's here's my, I don't want to say what I, what I came across, but it says, here's my version of the, the Great Bandit, a.k.a. Lost World of Sinbad. <laughs> nice. Well, how do you do? So I have That's seen so- the Great Bandit. Oh, that 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 does it for what we have to say about Roshi. I think. Alrighty. Well, that about does it. All cleaned up. Anything coming through? Nothing. Well, that shouldn't be possible. Unless we're being jammed. Well, who could be jammed? Um. Hey. Would a giant cloud of space amoeba surrounding us on all sides jam our scouter? It'd have to be one hell of a cloud. Why? Well, obviously I'm just thinking out loud and not at all staring at the planets and stars around us through a blue translucent cloud of flesh-eating amoeba. Well, we could always ramp up our shield output and cause an overload, frying any living organism outside the ship. It'd down our shields and we'd have to repair them, but... We wouldn't have a swarm of monstrous, monstrous phlegm surrounding us. Hurry back inside and we'll fry these things. Actually, wait a minute, wait a minute. Flesh eating? How do you know they're flesh eating? <laughs> hey, how'd you get back in without me hearing the airlock? Oh, you'd probably just cut me off again if I tried to explain. Well, no matter. You're back. And I'll fry the amoeba right after I sign off with our listeners. I'm not sure if the electrical overload will damage our transmitting abilities at all. How can we be transmitting this whole time through a cloud of amoeba that are also jamming our long-range scouters? What do I look like? Technical support? Will we fry our scouters and our instrumentation? Will Bikini find out if I'm technical support? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership.